Alright. There might be a little brain fog. I said might. I don't know if it's certain. I didn't check the mental forecast. The old brain weather report. We're expecting a little bit of fog coming in as we record this podcast, but there could be a little fog. And that's because I'm all drugged up, folks. It's not party drugs, don't you worry. You don't need to stage an intervention. When I come home and all my friends and family are stuffed into the living room, we're worried about you. No, it's prescribed by my neurologist. I'm on clonopin. The actual name of the pill is clonazepam. It's a benzo. Why, Josh? Why are you turning to the meds? I'll explain. I have not been on a flight in over two years. Sounds too risky. I have MDDS. I've talked about it. I got to be a spokesman for it. I'm a celebrity spokesman for MDDS. Mal de debarquement syndrome. Why you got to go French accent? I don't know. Why did they name my disease with a French label? I don't get it either. Debarquement syndrome? Disembarkment syndrome? Brain disease where you can't really travel anymore on boats? Or in airplanes, no helicopters. They say no helicopters, which is absolutely going to cramp my style. And they want me to avoid bungee jumping, but hell no. I looked at my neurologist. I said, fuck you. I'm bungee jumping. No, I didn't say that. My neurologist is my savior. This woman, Dr. Nandi Panti, she said, 0.25 milligrams clonopin. Five days before the flight, increase another half tablet every five days until you're fully addicted and going through some intense withdrawals. I'm talking about the Ray Charles withdrawals scene. Have you seen it? Ray with Jamie Foxx. Those are some intense Hollywood withdrawals. That's what I picture every time someone says withdrawals. Talking about drug addiction and getting off drugs, I just picture Jamie Foxx and Ray. You remember those scenes? No, I'll just move on. But I've started. So what that means is, and I'll just put it simply for you, clonopin, I gotta look around. I gotta make sure no one in the house hears me. As I say it into a microphone, I still gotta lay low when I convey this information. Clonopin slows electrical activity in my brain. And that's when I've decided to record a podcast. So the electrical activity in my brain is literally slower. It's slowed down. This is the calm episode. Will I freak out? I don't think so. Will I go on a profane-laced rant? Probably, but it will not be expected. It'll be a little unorthodox on this medication. Actually, I'm on a low dose, which is what everyone in the history of prescribed medication says. I'm on a low dose, but I'm on a low dose. We're also worried about being judged, but I'm on a very low dose. No, we're not. We don't know what a low dose is. We just nod at the pharmacy. Yeah, okay, take it, okay, and tell people I'm on a low dose. Yeah, you're on a low dose. If it makes you feel better to tell people you're on a low dose. I don't know if I'm on a low dose. I might be on a very high dose. This might be the most powerful pill at the pharmacy, but I just take half the pill so I make myself think I'm on a low dose. But it has slowed, I'll say it again, the electrical activity in my brain. It is supposed to calm my nervous system. So if I get on this airplane on Thursday, I'm flying to Denver. Hope there's not a lot of turbulence. And then you get on the tram, tram, tram. I'm scared. If I'm being honest, I'm a little bit scared, but also very confident. I'm feeling optimistic. Plus, I got to do it. What am I going to stay on the ground forever? 
It doesn't sound so bad. I mean, I'm not from the shittiest area. I could still go to San Francisco and Inverness and Tamales Bay and Point Reyes and up to Wine Country and Tahoe and Big Sur and make all these road trips. Yosemite. I can still get in the car and go places that are worth visiting from Avila Beach all the way to the Canadian Rockies. I'm going to be fine. Plus, I don't have that thirst for travel that a lot of people have. I'd be lying if I was like, I've always wanted to see Nepal. Fuck Nepal. Fuck Nepal. Honestly, and that's why I wanted you to tune in. Fuck Nepal. I'm just kidding. I know nothing about Nepal, but if I Googled it, it's probably beautiful and the people are very nice and maybe I would like to visit one day. But where was I? But I digress. But where was I? I'm on a low dose. Whoa, his brain activity shut off. Not too low of a dose, Doc. The idea is that if I suppress my nervous system, Slow down my energy, my synapses, my breathing, everything people try to do naturally with mindful meditation. Well, now I'm just doing it unnaturally. Same result, a little more amplified, but I'm doing it. I'm reaching that mindful slow down your breathing so I can get on a flight and hopefully when I depart, I'll be fine. I won't be bobbing and swaying and bobbing and swaying, which I've said is not even the worst part. The worst part is the cognitive impairment. You can't focus. You get irritable. You get anxious. And it lasts for months. Honestly, it lasts for months. So if this doesn't go well, I'll probably never get on a flight again. That sounds dramatic, doesn't it? But there are going to be some breakthroughs. I'm reading a book right now by Dr. Shin Be. Now you look it up right now so you know I'm not lying S-H-I-N, his name is Shin, last name is Be. And I think he's the leading researcher on MDDS. And the book's 185 pages, so I'm going to plow through it in the next two days. The point is, it should be treatable. This shouldn't be something that is a death sentence where people just have to live like they're always on a boat forever. And here's the point, when your brain is putting so much focus towards trying to make you feel stable, it robs you of all of that good energy. So you do feel so much brain fog. And I've done things with the brain fog, like taught my classes and hosted radio shows. Radio shows? I think the word's radio. He's on a low dose. Done my podcasts, raised my kids, driven my car into the ocean once, but it was only once. And then everyone got worried and I said, it's fine. The car floats a little bit until they had to... Take off the top, turn it into a convertible. <laughs> Lord, that didn't happen. You're lying to your listeners. You're lying to all 12 of your listeners right now. You owe them the truth, but they can't handle the truth. Is that a famous scene that we still quote? No young kid is going to know what we're talking about. A few good men. Young kids don't know what the hell we're talking about ever, ever. Unless it's The Office reruns on Netflix or McLovin, because I guess Superbad is having a little renaissance right now. You know what else is having a renaissance? Chess. Teens are playing chess, but I digress. Are you going to rhyme the rest of the show? Well, I guess. Dee 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 dee. So I'll fly into Denver on Thursday. No, don't sing. So I'll fly into Denver on Thursday. And if I land and the world is steady, that means that this drug will be an as needed for me to travel. And what's that? What's that? You don't care? Move on? Some of you care, but some of you are like, all right, you've done this episode before where we hear about how the world is not stable and you bob and you sway and you bob and you sway, but it sucks. It's so bad. It really is so bad. 
So here I sit, fully drugged up for episode 210. Welcome in, everybody. Let's wish me luck. And in the meantime, before I even get on this flight, it's kind of nice. I'll be honest. It's kind of nice to just be calm and know it's not natural. I'm calm right now. If anything, I'm giddy for no reason. Happy. Mr. Happy over here. One of the keys to happiness, beyond asking your neurologist for clonopin, is to stimulate your brain to keep learning and learning and read some stuff that makes you go, whoa. Read some stuff about the world and history and scientific breakthroughs or maybe interesting people. Read some great stuff. I got a Carl Sagan book right now. It's called The Pale Blue Dot, A Vision of the Human Future in Space. Every single page puts me in a good mood because I could actually feel myself getting smarter. Oh, what's that? Was that a little wrinkle in my brain? Oh, guess whose IQ just jumped a little bit? Turned the page. That's how smart Carl Sagan was. I'm saying was because I'm pretty sure he passed away. I haven't Googled it. But yeah, that's how smart Carl Sagan was. Every sentence he crafts about outer space or our planet or the history of Homo sapiens, where we've been, where we're going, it's just so brilliant. And I'm going to give you a little excerpt right now, and I'm going to connect it to a movie I just saw, which I think I recommend. It was a creeper, though. It was one of those movies where right after, my wife and I were like, nah, uh, no, I don't know. I don't like it. My wife's like, no thanks. That's what she said. My wife actually said no thanks when the credits were rolling. She said no thanks to making the viewer guess. The new artsy style of, uh-oh, what happened? I guess it's up to us to guess and discuss. My wife likes the objective, clear cut. Here is the ending. You don't have to guess. It's too artsy for her. But over a few days, we were like, wait, why are we still thinking about this movie? So let me get to it. This is going to be a big lead up to a movie recommendation, a big lead up. So right now, if you want to pause it, get some water, some coffee, some tea, some bourbon, shake up a martini, it's up to you. You do you. Pour a little Pinot Gris or Noir or Pinot Fond Blanc Jean or Pinot Ayant Bleu Jeune Trevely Bon Bon Boop Carl Sagan, Pale Blue Dot. Stay with me. All right, and try to uh, attain a mindset where you allow yourself to go deep. Go deep with this. Wanderers. The intro. We were wanderers from the beginning. We knew every stand of tree for a hundred miles. When the fruits or nuts were ripe, we were there. We followed the herds in their annual migrations. We rejoiced in fresh meat. Through stealth, faint ambush, and main force assault, a few of us, cooperating, accomplished what many of us, each hunting alone, could not. We depended on one another. Making it on our own was a ludicrous thing to imagine, as was settling it down. Sorry, the book almost fell. Working together, we protected our children from the lions and the hyenas. That was a page turn. We taught them the skills they would need and the tools. Then, as now, technology was the key to our survival. When the drought was prolonged or when an unsettling chill lingered in the summer air, our group moved on. Sometimes to unknown lands, we sought a better place. And when we couldn't get on with the others in our little nomadic band, we left, found a more friendly bunch somewhere else. We could always begin again. For 99.9% .9 of the time since our species came to be, we were hunters and foragers, wanderers on the savannas. There were no border guards then, no customs officials. The frontier was everywhere. We were bounded only by the earth and the ocean and the sky, plus occasional grumpy neighbors. When the climate was congenial, though, 
When the food was plentiful, we were willing to stay put, unadventurous, overweight, careless. In the last 10,000 years, an instant in our long history, we've abandoned the nomadic life. We've domesticated the plants and the animals. Why chase food when you can make it come to you? For all its material advantages, the sedentary life has left us edgy, unfulfilled. Even after 400 generations in villages and cities, we have not forgotten. The open road still softly calls, like a nearly forgotten song of childhood. We invest far-off places with a certain romance. The appeal has been meticulously crafted by natural selection as an essential element in our survival. Long summers, mild winters, rich harvests, plentiful game, none of them lasts forever. It's beyond our powers to predict the future. Catastrophic events have a way of sneaking up on us, of catching us unaware. Your own life, or your bands, or even your species, might be owned to a restless few, drawn by a craving they can hardly articulate or understand to undiscovered lands and new worlds. Interesting. So we advance the world so much that it's left us edgy, and for many, unfulfilled. And he traces it back to a time, 99.9% of the history of humans when we were hunters and foragers, and wanderers on the savannas. And now, here's the connection to a movie I'm about to recommend. It was actually nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards, and my wife and I didn't even know that. We didn't even know what we were getting into. We were just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling on Hulu, and Triangle of Sadness came up. We watched the trailer. We were like, oh, Woody Harrelson, we like him. Okay, let's watch this. The old, let's give it 10 minutes, not even let's commit. Had I known it was nominated, I would have had expectations, but I had no expectations. And it's three chapters. The first, just like a model couple discussing their relationship dynamics. Fine. The second part is on a yacht, a bunch of rich people. Then the yacht gets blown up by pirates. And the third part is shipwreck, survival on an island. Okay, that's the movie. I'm not going to give you any spoilers, but it's three parts and it's watchable. There's a lot of barf and diarrhea. That's a spoiler right there. All right, so back then, what Carl Sagan was just describing, hunters, foragers, wanderers, would you have any status? Was there any status in your community? in your little group. Sure, it was probably who was the best hunter, who could make a fire, who was quick to catch a fish, right? Who could fist fight a buffalo and get a few shots in? There was probably someone in your village who was like the Michael Jordan of all that hunting shit, right? I still say the Michael Jordan of. Would my students get the reference? I don't know. They would just think shoes? You mean Jordan from the shoes, the logo? No, he was a basketball player too. The Michael Jordan of fighting a buffalo and fishing and making fires and setting up shelter when it rains. That guy or that woman, whoever, gains status. And people would look up to this person. That's natural leadership skills emerging. Now, in the movie, there's a lady who is a minority. And her job on the yacht is... Toilet manager, clean the toilets on a yacht that is going to be filled with rich people barfing and shitting all over the place because of food poisoning. Like I said, that's the only spoiler I'll give you. And that's her job. That's her role in this mainstream industrialized society, overlooking who she is as a person because of her skin color. She's a minority. 
how her ancestry has been treated. She emerges into the world and instead of really being able to express herself and show her natural skills and her strengths and her talents, she has to fit into this role of, okay, I guess the only job available for me is toilet cleaner on this yacht. But the ship goes down and everybody is flailing for survival on an island. And what does she do? She can make a fire. This lady, the toilet manager, she can catch fish. She can catch an octopus in the ocean. And she can organize. And she could delegate roles. And she is amazing. Her name's Abigail in the movie. And all of a sudden, the dynamic shifts. All of a sudden, the power struggle shifts. And she says, I'm the captain now. Because she has these old school medieval skills that we have forgotten about. Because how do you gain status in society today? How do you gain status? How many followers you got? How many people click like on your photo? How many dollar bills have you accumulated in your account? What's status? Really? Celebrity? Are you on my television a lot? Because you shake those hips? Because you slam that basketball? Let's simplify what status is. Not to say it sounds remedial or too arbitrary. We understand status. I get it. It's the life I live. It's the world I'm in. But if you just trace it back to hunters and foragers, then this movie kind of captures something that's really fascinating. And that's that these skills should be the honored skills that make you a leader, that make you a captain, that make you on top of society, which she was. She looked at the model guy and she's like, you're going to be my boyfriend. We're going to go have sex every night in that broken down old boat. Your girlfriend's just going to sit on the outside and watch and eat pretzels. And there's nothing she could do about it because I'm calling the shots. I don't care how much money y'all have. Your money is worthless on this island. The real skills, the real skills that make you a leader. So status is something people strive for. But what makes you special today? I guess it really is how you treat people, what you get out of relationships, what you put into relationships. What gives you purpose today? I mean, you're probably not going to impress people in your neighborhood by saying, I can catch fish really fast and make a fire. If we go camping, I can make fire. And people will be like, great, thanks. We got matches. We got a lighter. So unless you're shipwrecked on an island, most people aren't going to see your survival skills to gain status. But the idea of it is so damn cool. So the movie, which we initially didn't like, it stayed in our minds, consumed us. And I was like, I got to discuss it. I got to discuss it. I got to finally talk about it. Triangle of sadness. It's good. Is it like amazing? No, I wouldn't say it's amazing, but were there any amazing movies in the last year? Huh? I don't know. I haven't seen that many. Seems like there were a lot. There's a lot of streaming platforms, a lot of movies, but I haven't seen that many. And also, who cares about human skills today? If we're all just going to be replaced by AI, who cares what you got? Oh, you're good at science. Oh, you're good at math. Oh, you can sew. You could do art. Great, you could speak into a mic. Okay, so we have some skills. We all think we have a skill set slowly eroding and we'll all be replaced by AI. I'm not being cynical. Let me be realistic for a moment. My buddy Brandon Lai, concept artist, has worked in the video game world for years. He told me, he works for TikTok now, he told me his soul has been crushed because his boss told him you'll be replaced. Everything you're able to do naturally with your own skill set can be replaced by AI, artificial intelligence, in the next five years. Could you imagine knowing your trade, your craft, what you're good at in life could be replaced within five years by AI? Now, everybody listening right now, say your profession out loud. Just say it out loud, okay? That's the game we're playing. Say your profession out loud. What do you do for a living? What are you, a firefighter listening right now? Are you a teacher? Are you a psychologist? Are you an accountant? What are you? Are you an artist? Are you a yoga instructor? Are you in finance? What do you do? 
Who's listening right now? What do you do for a living? Now answer the next question. You know what the next question is going to be. Can you be replaced by artificial intelligence, perhaps within the next five, 10 years? If the technology is going in that direction, I think we'll all answer yes. Teacher, high school, could I be replaced by AI in the next 10 years? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Just make their desks smart desks. So I don't have to say phones away, phones away, phones away, phones away. Just make the whole room an iPhone. We're just going to live in the iPhone. There's no more we're on the iPhone. We're all just connected to the technology and software that is the iPhone. We're in it. We're living in it. We're not sneaking it under our desk. We're not sneaking it on a water break in our pocket. We're just all living in it. Living in it. Living in your iPhone. You know that old song by Boz Skaggs? I think most of us just don't want to know, right? It's bad for our ego to know how replaceable we are. And I'm sorry to quote Elon Musk, because I don't like that guy. What a controversial take. Whoa, what'd you say? I don't like that guy, Elon Musk. But he did an interview, and he basically said the one thing that could definitely destroy civilization is AI. And he's right. He's right. The cat's out of the bag. And we're in this phase of resistance still, the Luddites with the Industrial Revolution. So we're in this phase of resistance. We don't want to feel replaceable. We don't want to see everything getting just a little bit smarter so we get a little bit dumber. Here's the best example I've seen recently, cars. Every car ad is showing you something that the car will do so you don't have to do. Have you seen that Buick one where it parallel parks for the girl and she goes, yes. And then you just go, well, now you're a shittier driver. You don't have the skills. And even me personally, I can't drive stick shift. I'm a shittier driver than the previous generations that were learning stick shift. I can't drive stick shift, can you? If you can, you're a better driver than me. But if I was driving a car, and now actually my car goes beep, 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 beep. If I get too close to someone, beep, 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 beep. You know what that's gonna do? It's gonna make me rely on the beep, 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 instead of my own eyeballs, which should see if someone's walking their dog behind my car, or if some other bus is driving behind me. I mean, really, the beep, 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 we're all just gonna get used to our cars doing all this stuff for us. To the point where we're just sitting behind the steering wheel watching the show. You've seen that commercial at Parallel Parks for you. These car ads, they're doing too many things to allow people to remain shitty drivers and just still be on the road. Parallel Parks for you? So you don't have that skill and you're happy about it? Your car will now alert you to all the things you shouldn't be crashing into. And your car will even hit the brakes for you. And your car will play the song you want to hear. Windshield wipers, you don't have to tap that. The car's got to put on the wipers when it feels the first raindrop. All sounds good, so why am I being negative about it? I think, you know, we're in that phase. You know, in 10, 15, 20 years, there won't be any opinions like this. There won't be any opinions resisting it, but we're all seeing it pop up now. And my friend Brandon has to be told by a boss, yeah, we don't need what you got. Sorry, within five years, good luck. That resume is toilet paper. That's some sad shit. And then what? We fast forward and the video games are gonna be better is that it if teachers all become holograms and robots in classrooms and some of you are going but what about the human touch ai could have a human touch you could have a better human touch and then all of a sudden all human teachers are being told you're not needed anymore find a new skill go catch fish in the ocean and we go oh isn't that so sad i don't know if it's sad if it's better what if it's a better way to educate the youths the youths and the youth what if it's better to do it this way then aren't we the smartest 
group? And are we even so? Oh, I could get real deep. You could tell I've been reading Carl Sagan when I say, aren't we so smart? Aren't we this intelligent? We might look laughable to a bigger, badder, bolder group of intelligent beings who are constantly looking at us from another planet and they can see us like we're putting on a show for them. We must look foolish. We must look like a bunch of ants doing ant stuff yet thinking we're so smart because that's how ants live to look to us. And I bet the ants, when they have their ant communication and the way they communicate, they go, aren't we smart? My God, look at us. We're all bringing this crumb out to the living room together. We're bringing this big crumb from that Pringle that that dumb fuck ate earlier today during his snack. And now we're all... And then someone steps on all the ants and we get sad for the ants. But really, those ants think they're so smart, just like us humans right now. Look how smart we are. We're doing our podcasts and we're parallel parking the cars and we're tapping the brakes. And what else are we doing that's smart? Uh, I don't know. We're getting on airplanes with clonopin in our system to slow down our electrical activity in our brains. Actually, that I marvel at. Modern medicine, the way that these doctors and scientists just create pills to help us. Thank you for the pills. And I'm a guy who doesn't even like meds. I should probably say that. I don't even like meds. I never want to take another med. If I didn't have MDDS, I wouldn't be on any of this nonsense. This nonsense benzos. Go away, Benzo. Hello, Benzo. You're not welcome here after I get back from Denver, not swaying. You know, I unsubscribe from a bunch of emails. I'm a badass mother effer. Oh, really? Now you're going to censor yourself? I'm a bad man. I will unsubscribe from an email. Bah, bah, bah. You go, oh, you unsubscribe from a DMV email? Yeah. You think I care? You unscribed from the Golden State Warriors marketing team. Yeah, I'm not spending 600 bucks to sit in the last row at Chase Center. No, thanks. But I have not unsubscribed from Nest Bedding. About four years ago, I bought a new bed. And every day, I'm not exaggerating. This is not hyperbole. This isn't a lie. Every day, Nest Bedding, it's a small little bed company out of Albany in the East Bay. It's great, by the way. If you're looking for a bed, just Google Nest the one I got is latex, organic, thermal, late. I don't know bed words, but it's comfortable. Every day in the morning, I wake up to a nest bedding and mattress email deal of the day. I bought one mattress. Why do they think I'm going to get another that soon? Do they? Is this just their marketing plan? Once they buy a bed, then flood their inbox until they unsubscribe. And if they don't unsubscribe, they're sick. They're sick in the head because we're going to offer them all sorts of beds every day, upgrades up the yin-yang. It's not like a sandwich shop. It's going to be a while, folks, before I need another bed. It's a hokey rant. You knew I couldn't do a whole episode without a hokey rant. This one's kind of hokey, but stay with me. I'm not going to work blue. This is for the kids, okay? If you're a parent right now and you tell them, hey, get out of the room. I'm listening to the Rosenberg podcast where he says the F word a lot. Bring the kids in right now. Bring the kids. <whistles> no, you don't whistle them. They're not dogs, but just bring them in. Skyler, Skyler, he's going to do a PG rant on mattress emails. Hey, how often am I going to buy a new bed that would elicit this amount of emails. That'll do it. That's one of the shittiest rants you'll ever hear. Oh, he swore. The kids are in the room. Sorry, kids. The word shittiest, it kind of means like one of the worst, one of the worst, hokiest rants. But hey, I'm on Benzo's, so I got the uh, I got the excuse built in today. 
Most people aren't so free about it, right? A lot of people on meds, they don't just tell the world. I think we all should tell the world. We can't fake it with one another like, hey, I got this calm on my own. No one is this calm. No one is as calm as me right now naturally. You go to Spirit Rock, you tap on the shoulder of John Kabat-Zinn, he's more nervous and stressed about some shit right now than me. I'm just floating through half a pill in the morning, up the dose, up the dose, and up the dose. Have you seen Dope Sick with Michael Keaton, the Sacklers? Just up the dose. Mr. Sackler, I don't think we can do that. Well, tell him it's for breakthrough pain. Up the dosage, sell more. Mr. Sackler, I don't think we should legally be selling more. We're killing people. Well, then kill them with kindness as you offer a new mattress every day. Mr. Sackler, we're not in the mattress business. We're in the business of killing people with opiates. Breakthrough pain. Petting my mastiff. Up the dosage. It's a sad show. Michael Keaton was so good, though. Have you seen Dope Sick? Is this an old reference? If you haven't, if you're like my wife and I, we just scroll and scroll and scroll on the TV till we pick up a book and get stimulated by Carl Sagan. Watch it. It's fantastic. I'm done. I got to pack my bag. All my bags are packed. I'm ready to go. I'm sitting here feeling all the benzos. Already I'm so lonesome, lonely, no, lonesome, I could die? Oh no, that's not a good lyric. Am I getting the lyric wrong? I probably am. My wife gets all the lyrics, and my five-year-old, she knows all these Taylor Swift lyrics already. They got this sponge mind when they're that young. They could just remember all the lyrics, and I'm struggling with leaving on a jet plane. If I ask you right now, who even wrote it? You'll say, what, Peter, Paul, and Mary? Sure, but sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that came out quick. But Frank Sinatra's cover? Oh, right? Frank Sinatra's cover? All my bags are packed. I'm ready to go. Standing here outside your door. I hate to wake you up to say goodbye. But the dawn is breaking. It's early morn. The taxi's waiting and he's blowing his horn Already I'm so lonesome I could die Oh baby, so kiss me and smile for me Tell me that you'll wait for me Hold me like you'll never let me go Hey, hey, cause I'm leaving on a jet plane I don't know if I'll get MDDS But I hope I come back And I'm just fine And I'm just fine At Camp Tawanga They play that song And little kids cry When they have to leave camp Cause they know why They had a good experience And now they gotta get in a bus And say farewell But my god Frank, you know what's weird? It's obviously great music, but was his voice that good? I know it was a perfect voice, like perfect pitch, had a good sound, but was it like a great voice? I'm going to get in trouble. That's the most controversial thing I've ever said. No, honestly, was it a great voice? Like when I say great voice, you think Freddie Mercury, Whitney Houston, Adele. 
Nora Jones, John Legend's pretty. Like, you think about these voices. Was Frank good or did he just kind of stay in his pocket and say things like this? But the mafia loved him and all the songs sounded good. The lyrics are great. He'd cover a bunch of stuff. They'd roll with the rap pack, cheat on their wives and throw some craps. And that was glamorized back then. But nowadays, TMZ would crush the rap pack if anyone tried to act that way. All right, that's that's it. That's episode 210. Truly appreciate you tuning in. Leave a nice rating, a review on iTunes, and I will talk to you soon. <laughs>